One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR man, icon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kirk Street is on the phone. The Sports Podcast presented we. by Betfred Sportsbook. Yeah. It is oh, Wednesday, so June 28th, 2023. People, I hope, everybody's, I hope everybody is having a great day. And if you're wondering, Torres, why is this episode dropping so late in the day? It's what, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 2 o'clock whenever you're listening? Well, here's the deal. I had heard on late Tuesday, we were going to get matchups for the first ever SEC-ACC basketball challenge on Wednesday morning. And so I said, rather than rush out the show, let's wait, let's take a deep breath, let's see if those matchups come out, and let's react to them in real time. So about 11 a.m. Eastern time, we get those matchups, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about all the big games, all the big matchups, where they're being played, how they're being played, all that good stuff, and really look ahead to what should be one of the signature events with some of the signature games on next year's college basketball calendar. From there, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. More college hoops. Don't always intend to talk this much hoops this late into June, but Trey Mitchell is committed to Kentucky since the last time I recorded. Javon Quinterly is in the portal. Jordan Brown has committed to Memphis. So there's still activity in the portal. We'll discuss some of that. And then finally, we will wrap. Uh, some really sad news, actually, as Ryan Mallett, the Arkansas legend, former New England Patriot, uh, passed away late Tuesday. Just want to address it really quick because I think for a certain generation of SEC football fans, of college football fans, Ryan Mallett was was a legend and a name that everybody knew and everybody followed. So we'll just touch on that really quick. A really tragic, sad story from the world of sports on Tuesday. But busy show, fun show, lot to get into. And let's not waste any more time. And let's get to the topic of the day. And so the topic of the day, as I just said, like to have new episodes in your feed every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll probably go back, by the way, to four episodes a week once football season hits. But episodes in your feed every Monday, Wednesday, Friday when you wake up. But on Tuesday afternoon, I got some whispers. I got a little birdie in my ear that said, Taurus, you may want to wait on that show on Wednesday. Because the first ever ACC-SEC challenge games are going to be announced. And so I decided to wait, and around 11 a.m. they were. And so a lot of you probably sitting there saying, Torres, ACC-SEC challenge, What? I, I've never even heard of that. What is that? Well, here's what you kind of need to know, okay? So bottom line is that obviously, um, you know, 2024, we've talked about, is a changing landscape in college sports. Texas, Oklahoma going to the SEC. UCLA, USC going to the Big Ten. But beyond that, that's when all the TV contracts start to change. SEC goes to ESPN. uh, Big Ten goes exclusively to Fox, uh, CBS, and NBC. And so there's a lot of moving parts in 2024. I bring it up because on the college basketball calendar, we've talked a lot about how football will be impacted with the TV moves. But on the college basketball calendar, one of the big seminal events in college basketball is the ACC Big Ten Challenge, played every late November after Thanksgiving. And then, oh, by the way, on top of that, we have that great SEC Big 12 Challenge in late February, early, uh, late January, early February. And so I bring it up because over the last year or so, ESPN, which puts on both events, kind of came to a realization. They're like, wait a second now. So we don't have the Big Ten after this year. 
So the ACC Big Ten Challenge obviously will no longer exist because we don't have the rights to broadcast those games. Beyond that, the Big 12, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. We don't, you know, teams are coming, teams are going, who's going to be in, who isn't. And so what ESPN has decided to do is that ESPN essentially said, you know what? ACC is going to be stable. SEC is going to be stable. We have both those uh, conferences under contract for the next decade. Instead of doing the ACC Big Ten, let's do the ACC SEC. So this coming year will be the first year of the ACC SEC Big uh, ACC SEC Challenge. No Big Ten involved. And on Wednesday, we got our first announcement of games in the ACC SEC Challenge. So there were a lot of good games. I want to react to some of them, but here are some of the marquee games that you need to know. Tennessee, Rick Barnes at North Carolina. Miami coming off its first Final Four appearance in school history. They are playing at Kentucky. And then the one I think everybody is looking forward to. How about this? The Duke Blue Devils. Some people's, including mine, preseason number one team, is headed to Fayetteville to play the Arkansas Razorbacks. The big pick invasion, baby. That is right. Are you ready? for what should be one of the marquee games on the calendar. So what I want to do is break down all these games. And let's start with that big one. Because, listen, what I would say, anytime Duke is in anything, it's a big event. And this is no disrespect to a Carolina fan, a Kentucky fan, a Tennessee fan, a uh, Arkansas fan, or whatever. But Duke does bring a level of cachet that I think most other schools in college basketball don't, right? It's like when Alabama comes to town. Even if you're not a huge college football fan, You pay attention when Nick Saban walks in, and it's kind of the same with Duke. So the fact that Duke is even playing a road game that early in the year is huge. They rarely do outside of what was previously the ACC Big Ten Challenge, but they're going into one of the most hostile environments in college basketball. And remember, these two programs have actually a very interesting history between the two of them. Most recently, they played in the 2022 Elite Eight. That was the Paulo Bancaro, Mark Williams, Duke team that made the Final Four in Coach K's final year. They beat Arkansas to get to the Final Four. But also, as importantly, more importantly, for those historians of college basketball, 1994, national championship game, Charlotte, North Carolina. Arkansas beats Duke to claim their only national championship in school history. The president of the United States, Bill Clinton, I believe, was in the building that day. So I have a buddy who listens to this show. He says, man, I love that Arkansas matters again. I remember when Bill Clinton was at all those big games. Well, Bill Clinton might have to, Bill Clinton might be making an appearance at Bud Walton Arena here in late November because we have a fascinating matchup between two programs with history. Arkansas does not like Duke. And this is just going to be a classic, okay? This will be a classic with two teams that I believe will start the year in the top 10. I actually have both in my top five to start the season. And I'll just say, like, 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 just a really fun early season matchup. Duke returns four starters off a team that, remember, they won nine of their final 10 games. Remember, Miami may have made the final four. Duke won the ACC tournament championship. Now they're bringing back four marquee players. Kyle Filipowski, leading scorer and rebounder. I believe he would have been a late first round, early second round pick had he gone to decide to go to the draft. He returns to college. Jeremy Roach, fourth year in the program, decides to return. Multi-year starter played on that 2022 team that made the Final Four. You have, oh, by the way, Tyrese Proctor, one a projected lottery-ish type pick next year, returning for a sophomore season. Mark Mitchell, really good player. So you add in all those guys. Number uh, number two high school recruiting class in the country. 
Duke's going to be loaded, but you know who else is going to be loaded? The Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas, we've talked about them all offseason, cleaned up in the portal. L. Ellis from Louisville, Tremont Mark from Houston, uh, Keon Menafield from Washington. Oh, by the way, they're already returning Trevin Brazil, Devo Davis, um, Jalen Graham, former all Pac-12 player at Arizona State. So just a fascinating, fascinating matchup. And when I talk about a, a, a building that's going to, the, the roof is going to blow off. We've seen big games at Bud Wall. We saw when Auburn was number one, fans rushing the court. We've seen other marquee matchups, but this might be the biggest one of all. For the old school Arkansas fans, number one UNLV came to town in 1991, I believe. That was the year that UNLV was undefeated. They say that was the biggest game in Fayetteville history. You can Google, um, you can Google stories about that game. The legends were that they finished church services early so that people could go home and watch that game. It was on a Sunday, I believe either Super Bowl Sunday or the Sunday between the AFC-NFC championship games and the Super Bowl. That was the biggest game in Razorbacks history at home. Guess what? Duke coming to town might just stop it. Let's keep it going. And let's get to the second game that I think is really intriguing, which is Miami coming off a of Final Four, traveling to Rupp Arena. And let me just say this, and I had a bunch of comments, and some people agree, and some people disagree, and some people are just arguing with me. The fact that Kentucky is not playing Duke or Carolina in this event the first year, I believe, is an abomination, okay? And so what everyone has told me is this. is Torres, well, you, you don't really understand what's going on. We play, First of all, some people told me that Kentucky is playing North Carolina this year in the CBS Sports Classic. Unless I'm misreading the schedule, Kentucky's actually playing Ohio State. That's an event that's around December 16th. Then others are saying, well, Duke next year is playing uh, Kentucky in the Champions Classic to open the season. And then North Carolina is scheduled to play Kentucky in that event that I just mentioned at the CBS Sports Classic. And so if you if Kentucky play hosts North Carolina or Duke, then that means that we then then how can you do that because Kentucky already has Duke and Carolina on the schedule? Well, here's the bottom line. Here's all you need to know. Go back and look at the history of the ACC Big Ten Challenge and the ACC SEC, or the SEC Big 12 Challenge. You don't play the same two teams every year. All that's rotated is you get one home game a year and then you get one road game a year. Well, North Carolina has to go on the road this year. Duke has to go on the road this year. Kentucky is hosting a game. So it doesn't really feel like that tough of a decision to me. Send Carolina to Kentucky because I believe, listen, and, and I have people say, well, it's because Kentucky doesn't look as good on paper this year, and it's because they're struggling in this program. And that, Here's my mind. We can argue, but I'm just telling you, in early November, late November, when we're trying to make college basketball relevant, when we're trying to give people a reason to watch college basketball, I'm sorry, Carolina, Kentucky, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night, it's going to move the needle a lot more than Miami and Kentucky. And that's no disrespect intended to Miami because Miami's really good. So let's get into it. And what I would just say, what I just said, Miami's a really good program. And so if Kentucky fans are disappointed that it's not Duke, that it's not Carolina, just understand that Miami team that's coming to town, they are in my preseason top 15 to start next year. Nigel Pack still in, you know, still at Miami after leading Miami, by the way, to a final four this year. Uh, Matt Cleveland transferred from Florida State, really good player. Some other nice returnees. 
Wuga Poplar, if you remember him, he had a big NCAA tournament. Bensley Joe. Miami is a really good basketball team, and Kentucky fans just be ready to go because that's the kind of team that can beat you if you're not ready. Same time, I'll say this. Kentucky is going to have its hands full with its early portion of the schedule. They open against Kansas in the Champions Classic. Miami now at home. Gonzaga is slated to return to Lexington after the game that was played in Spokane this past year. Um, so they got a loaded schedule. Oh, by the way, Ohio State, I believe, will be that Champions Cla- or CBS Sports Classic game. So this Kentucky team, that it, the pieces are coming together. We're going to talk about Trey Mitchell committing in a minute. I'm telling you, fascinating, interesting, intriguing Kentucky team that, oh, by the way, if you're not ready to go, you're going to take some L's early, but hopefully with the additions of the veterans, of Trey Mitchell, of Antonio Reeves, I think this is actually going to be a really fun game, and I believe Kentucky is now in much better shape and much better equipped to handle a good Miami team now than they would have been a few weeks ago. The other marquee game, listen, and I think part of why some of these these games don't feel as big The ACC isn't living up to their end of the bargain. Um, Syracuse is down. Georgia Tech, historically great, is irrelevant. Louisville, we'll get to in a minute, is obviously coming off a historically bad year. So outside of Duke and Carolina, there aren't a lot of teams that get you super excited. One team that obviously always gets you excited is North Carolina. I'm actually wearing the Carolina baby blue. No, no, no intention there. They go, they, they host, excuse me, Tennessee in that game. That's another big one. And I'll say this. First of all, Tennessee's gonna be really good. Tennessee is really good. A lot of guys back from last year's team, Viscovi and, and Josiah Jordan James came back. Uh, Zakai Ziegler, hopefully he's back from injury. Toby Awaka, by the way, playing in the U19 World Championships right now, is killing it. They're going to have a really good team. They also bring in Dalton Connect, of course, the transfer from Northern Colorado. Chris Ledlam, the transfer from Harvard. This is also a sneaky, important game for Carolina. Carolina, you know, listen, I've said it a few times over the course of the spring and the summer. Hubert Davis, like like if he has another really bad year, like if they miss the NCAA tournament this year, I'm not saying he's getting fired. I think it's probably in the realm of possibility, though. And so you start looking at Hubert Davis. They have struggled early in seasons. Two years ago, they bounced back to make a Final Four. Last year, they took two losses at the um, the the event in in the PK85 event in in um, in Portland. They cannot start off slow this year. They need to be playing good basketball. That's a really tough matchup with a really good Tennessee team. That is one, you know, I get why Duke, Arkansas is intriguing. I get why Miami and Kentucky is intriguing. North Carolina is going to kind of need this win. They're going to be playing a very, very, very good Tennessee team. And then obviously if Tennessee wins, you start stacking up wins for what could be a very impressive resume and what should be a very good SEC. Just a couple other notes on these matchups. Um, you know, one, uh, first of all, game that I think doesn't feel sexy on paper, but will be Virginia against Texas A&M. Again, I'm not claiming that, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be telling our grandkids about that one. Uh, but what I will say is Texas A&M has a chance to be very good. They return most everybody off of a team that made the uh, uh, finished second in the SEC last year. Virginia, of course, is Virginia. So that'll be an intriguing one. Ole Miss at NC State. Remember, Ole Miss, this will be probably the first marquee game of the Chris Beard era at Ole Miss. Um, Clemson at Alabama. This is what I'm a little disappointed in. Is there not somebody more interesting we could have gotten for Alabama? I mean, Syracuse is more interesting. Um 
Virginia. I mean, you talk about a clash of styles. We couldn't have gotten Virginia and Alabama. We couldn't have gotten Florida. I, I don't know. You just look at the teams that could have possibly been. Clemson doesn't really move the needle for me. Kind of disappointed we didn't get something more intriguing there. Auburn hosting Virginia Tech should be an interesting matchup. I think Auburn has a chance to be pretty good. But those are really the matchups that you need to know. By, by the way, Syracuse playing LSU next year in that matchup. Uh, but I wish we could have gotten something a little bit more intriguing for Alabama. And then finally, let me say this. I think the thing worth noting, because there are only 14 SEC teams next year and 15 ACC teams, it means that one ACC team is getting left out. How about Louisville? You talk about a program that is is going in the wrong direction, coming off a last-place finish. Louisville couldn't even get a game in this event. Louisville will be sitting home. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break, come back, and when I come back, we are going to switch gears. We are going to talk about the portal. Trey Mitchell is a Kentucky Wildcat. What does that mean for the 2023-2024 Cats? Javon Quinterly in the portal. Uh, Who else? Jordan Brown commits to Memphis. We're going to discuss that. And again, of course, the tragic passing of Ryan Mallett. We need to hit on that very briefly. Be right back. We're getting back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook in the Betfred Sportsbook app. The NBA playoffs are here and nobody has you covered quite like Betfred. By now, you know Betfred's story. Started in 1967 in the UK. Over 1,200 shops in the UK. They have since come to the United States and made a major splash. They are not only the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres podcast and all things Aaron Torres media, but also the Cincinnati Bengals, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. And what I love about Betfred Sportsbook is that nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. You've seen the Betfred Sportsbook suite at Bengals games. It is hopping. We have sent listeners of this show to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitches at Colorado Rockies games. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred Sportsbook does. And here is what they are doing for the NBA playoffs. How about this for a deal? Bet $50 on any game. All playoffs long, get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet $50 on any game you automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, here is what else Betfred does for you. They're going to give you up to $200 in insurance for the first five weeks that you're a Betfred customer. So maybe you make a bad pick. We all do. We've all been there. Trust me. You followed my picks in March Madness. It happens. So you bet $200, does not work out. Get $200 insurance for the first five weeks that you are a Betfred customer equating up to $1,111 in free bets thanks to Betfred. Again, nobody takes care of you like Betfred does. Love working with them. They are the presenting sponsor of the Aaron Torres pod. Tell them Torres sent you. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app right now. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to. Get into switch gears, talk about something that we have discussed quite a bit here on the Aaron Torres pod and something that we specifically discussed on Monday's episode. So if you listen to Monday's episode, and really, if you've listened to the last couple weeks, obviously the big story in college hoops has been the situation at West Virginia. You don't need me to tell you all of the details. 
Bob Huggins gets arrested. Bob Huggins resigns. They go through this weird thing where for a week they think they're going to get a legitimate candidate for the coaching job, even though I said day one they wouldn't. And then finally this past weekend, they decided that they were going to hire from within and hire an interim coach. Okay, cool. No big deal. Why do I bring it up? It is because in that process of doing all of those things, doing the nationwide search only to realize that they weren't going to be able to get a guy that they wanted, a couple of their players entered the transfer portal. Now, on the one hand, a guy like Kirk Risa announces he's coming back. Good for West Virginia. They finally make the interim move, and they keep one of the most important pieces on their roster in Kirk Risa. But I bring it up because, as I said on Monday's show, there were a few players that have still decided to stay in the portal. Joe Toussaint is taking a few visits. I think Alabama was the one to most recently reach out. And on top of that, there was a guy named Trey Mitchell that after entering the portal on Friday was already planning to visit Kentucky this past weekend. And so I said, credit to West Virginia, glad they got their house in order, but they waited too long. And I said, I believe that Trey Mitchell, even though he obviously had the option to come back to West Virginia, I said, I believe that he was ultimately going to end up committing to Kentucky. His family has ties to John Calipari. He's from Pittsburgh. Calipari's from Pittsburgh. So the roots run deep. And he had already scheduled a visit to Kentucky this weekend. Said, I thought Kentucky was the favorite. Said, I thought he would ultimately land there. Well, on Monday afternoon, Trey Mitchell decided he didn't need to wait anymore any longer. And he announces that he has, in fact, committed to Kentucky. So on the one hand, this is obviously not good news for a West Virginia squad that I believed was going to be in the top 25 to start the season if they retain their whole roster. But on a positive note, credit John Calipari again, had guys like me, and I got to own it, criticizing him all spring. What is going on with this roster? What is going on? How are you going to fill this roster? June 1st, they had seven scholarship players. They have since added four players, two veterans, and all of a sudden, I'm here to tell you with the addition of Trey Mitchell on top of everybody else, this again looks like a top 8, 10, 12 team in the country and one that can compete at the highest levels of the sport. Will they? I don't know. But I know they have the capability of doing so. So first of all, when it comes to Trey Mitchell, I really like his game. Now listen, he's not a put a team on your back and get you 22 and 11 kind of guy. But Kentucky doesn't need that. What they needed is exactly what he provides. 11 and a half points per game at West Virginia, five and a half rebounds, but also a guy that can space the floor as well. 34% three-point shooting. He's a guy who is a veteran, has done it, has been in college basketball for a while now, two years at UMass, a year at Texas before ultimately leaving in the middle of the season. And then this past year at West Virginia, where I really felt like he got comfortable, he was at home, he found a role in a coach in a program that fit him. And obviously it's unfortunate that of what happened at West Virginia, but also you talk about a great landing spot for him as well. You know, I'll tell you this is sometimes I spend way too much time talking about the impact of a player on a program, but for this player in specific, Trey Mitchell, it's kind of a perfect spot because obviously Kentucky has dealt with injuries in the front court. They're kind of thin. And so he is a plug and play. He is going to get his shots, his opportunities, his minutes, you name it. And more specifically, I believe that while it's a great fit for him, as I just said, I think it is a great, great, great fit for Kentucky. And most importantly, he fits two very, 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 very important needs for these 2023-2024 Wildcats. First of all, 
This team just desperately, desperately, desperately needed big bodies for the coming season. I've gone through this roster a few times. You don't need me to tell you all the details, but one, probably your most skilled big man, Aaron Bradshaw, six foot 11, seven foot, seven foot one, somewhere in that range, freshman from New Jersey, unfortunately just underwent foot surgery just a few weeks ago. Now the reports are that he could be back for the start of the season and he probably expects to be back for the start of the season, but you just never know. Big guy, NBA draft prospect. You, you never want to rush a kid like that. So you just don't know if he'll be ready. Obviously, if the people around him, and we've talked about those people around him at his agency, the agency that represents him, how willing they will be or how excited they will be to rush him back, let alone play him at all. So yeah, Aaron Bradshaw's hurt. Agana Onyenso, I believe, is a developing big man, but is still more raw, toolsy, defense more than offense. So now you add a Trey Mitchell to the mix, who I believe, again, he's not a 22 and 14 guy, but can he get you 15, 16 a night in the SEC? I believe that he can, especially with the opportunity that will be provided of of him. He's a guy that's going to get plenty of shots, plenty of opportunities, can stretch the floor, can play down low, can kind of hit that mid-range jumper. I really like who he is and how he fits and the need again for him on this roster. Beyond just the physical and skill needs, the other big thing, listen, we've talked about it all offseason. Kentucky needs some grown men in that locker room. And listen, I don't blame John Calipari for going back to the model that has gotten him success through the years, which is I'm going to bring in elite freshmen. It might not be pretty in November, but give me until February and March, and we're going to be peaking going into that tournament. It worked for him for pretty much from his first year at Kentucky, really even dating back to his Memphis days, through the COVID situation of a few years ago, COVID was a disaster. 2022, he had a top 10 team all year. This year was kind of a mixed bag and just a lot of stuff happened this year. But he decided to go back to that blueprint and that formula. But he still, even if you have elite players, and I believe they have upwards of three potential lottery picks in next year's draft, you still need those difference-making veteran guys. Those guys who have been in college basketball understand what it takes. Don't get too up. Don't get too down. And now you add Trey Mitchell on top of the fact that you also return Antonio Reeves just a few weeks ago. Antonio Reeves, of course, was a guy who averaged 14 points per game last year, was a guy who was one of the best players. I would argue one of the best guards in college basketball late in the season, 37 points against Arkansas and Fayetteville, 22 against Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament, 22 against... um, against Providence in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. And so now all of a sudden, I think you just literally added 14, you know, something to the neighborhood. So so Reeves averaged 14, Trey Mitchell averaged 11. It's not an exaggeration to say that at minimum, you just added 25 to 30 points in your starting lineup. And all of a sudden you again have a team that is built to compete at the highest levels of college basketball. And so to me, that's probably the biggest takeaway. You add Reeves, you add uh, Trey Mitchell on Monday. You added the two freshman role players, Jordan Burks, who I believe is a potential NBA player down the road two or three years, and Joey Hart, who the reviews are already coming in strong on him. You got yourself an interesting squad. And let me even take a minute and let me let me do the let me do the apology tour, right? Listen, one thing about me, I own when I get stuff wrong. And I I don't know that I was wrong on Calipari. I think my frustration in April and May 
was a sentiment shared by Kentucky fans. You go into June again with seven scholarship players. It's cause for concern. But credit to John Calipari because in the last month, he rallied. Now, I understand part of it was because Bob Huggins got arrested. But listen, something was going to happen. Some opportunity was going to present itself. And something was going to become available to him. And credit to him for taking an obviously unfortunate situation at West Virginia. But saying, listen, if we don't move now, somebody else will. And we have to do what's best for this program, not sit around and wait for what West Virginia wants to do. And so after criticizing him for all of April and all of May, credit to Calipari for adding four, I believe, players that will have impact this season. Trey Mitchell and Antonio Reeves, I believe, will both be starters for this year's team. And that's on top of, oh, by the way, what is already a great freshman class. And so listen, I get a lot of stuff wrong, but I also say this. I never had Kentucky as low as other people did, even in the darkest moments. I saw top 25s that didn't have Kentucky ranked at all. I said, wait, 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 wait a second now. I get that, yes, you want veterans, but also let's call a spade a spade here and let's acknowledge that when Kentucky steps on the floor, especially in February and March when the games matter the most, they might have two or three of the most talented players in that game. DJ Wagner is going to be a lottery pick. Justin Edwards is going to be a lottery pick. And so you add those two, hopefully you have Aaron Bradshaw back by the middle of the season. Rob Dillingham is a plug-and-play guy that is going to get his buckets, going to score. He's going to be a little bit out of control at times, but at the same time, he's going to be able to get you buckets when you need it. And, of course, Reed Shepard, the fifth McDonald's All-American caliber player on this roster. Reed Shepard was a McDonald's All-American. By technicality, Rob Dillingham wasn't, but you get the point. Is that fifth top 25 prospect, listen, all of a sudden, I like this roster, and I like the lineups that you can now roll out. You could play Mitchell at the five, the kid who just committed today, with a backcourt of either DJ Edward or DJ Wagner, uh, Justin Edwards, and Rob Dillingham. DJ Wagner, Justin Edwards, and Reed Shepard. You can go big and play Ogana Onyenso at the five. You can also hopefully get Aaron Bradshaw back and maybe play him at the four and Mitchell at the five. Whatever it is, but now you have veterans, you have versatility, and you have guys that can put the ball in the basket with just about anybody in college basketball. So I'm not saying that this move today makes Kentucky the favorite and print up the 40-0 t-shirts. That's not what I'm saying at all. But as of about three weeks ago, it looked like Kentucky was going into the season completely undermanned. And now all of a sudden, I see a team, I don't know if night one when they play Kansas, they play Kansas early in the season in the Champions Classic. I don't know if night one it's going to be great, but give it till January, give it till February, certainly in March. I believe you'll see a team that's ready to compete with just about anybody. So Trey Mitchell, not the only piece of transfer portal news uh, from the last couple days in college hoops. And it's wild, right? It is now June 28th, June 28th, 2023. And we are still talking transfer portal news. But on Sunday, after I had finished recording Monday's show late night, it was probably about 8.30, 9 o'clock Eastern time. Did you see that Javon Quinterly? a very key part of two SEC championship teams in Alabama and really just a well-known player dating back to his recruitment back in 2018 announced that he was going to transfer and leave Alabama. And for people who are kind of like confused, like Torres, you know, you went back in May, you said there was the deadline to enter the portal. How are players still entering the portal? Well, if you remember, and we talked about this with Antonio Reeves, May 11th was the date in which any undergraduate player 
who wanted to transfer had to announce that they were leaving their school. And so that was why March and April were so busy is because you had to get your name in the portal before May. That's why Hunter Dickinson transferred when he transferred. It's why whoever Arthur Kaluma put his name in the portal before he transferred. So you go on and on down the list. Virtually everybody had their name in in May. But I bring it up because there was a little caveat to that rule. And that was that graduate transfers did not have to be in the portal by May 11th. They could enter at any point. And when I mean any point, I literally mean any point. And it was funny because last week I was actually talking to somebody in college hoops. And I said to him, I said, okay, so I I know that May 11th was the undergrad deadline. And I know that there's no deadline for, for graduates, but there like, there has to be like a deadline, right? Like, Like maybe it's August one or July one or whatever, but there has to be a deadline. And this coach who's still recruiting the portal, he said, no, 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 no. He's like, there's actually no deadline. My understanding is as long as the player commits to a school and enrolls before the the fall semester starts, he is eligible to play in the fall if he is a graduate transfer. And so in theory, you can see more players as long as they're graduates entering the portal this time of year. That's why the Antonio Reeves situation was so fascinating. He was clearly trying to fast track a couple classes so that he could graduate in time to enroll somewhere else. And I don't think Javon Quinterly is the last player to do this. It is a concern right now in college basketball. And I'm not here to litigate should grads have different rules and da-da-da-da. I think this rule will eventually be amended. I'll be blunt. I do think it is a little bit ridiculous. I am all for player rights and player movement and all that good stuff. But like at some point, it's July. Like at some point, if it's not before July 1, if it's not before June 1, whatever it is, just go back to the school you were at. And if you don't want to be there, go pro. If you're a graduate, you've already gotten your degree. You've already done what you're intended to do. So I bring it up because in theory, there are more players that could still enter. And I'll tell you, there is concern among some coaches that some of their players could be tampered with. And so I bring it back full circle because Javon Quinterly was the latest graduate transfer to actually enter the portal here over the last couple days. Alabama guard, really like, like a very good college basketball player. And I bring this up all the time because obviously, look, if Javon Quinterly was six foot four and could do the things he did, he probably would have been in the NBA three years ago, but he's five foot 10, five foot 11, but he's a former McDonald's All-American. How about that? Was in the same McDonald's All-American class as Zion Williamson and RJ Barrett, went to Villanova for a year, was part of the investigation, had initially committed to Arizona, ends up at Nova, and then over the last four years spent time at Bama. And to me, it's a little bit sad that he decided to leave Alabama because at the end of the day, I think he would have gone down as a program icon, was part of, as I said, two SEC regular season championships, two SEC tournament championships, was a key cog on some of the best teams in Alabama history, two Alabama teams that have made a Sweet 16, but he decides to leave and now somebody is going to get a really good guard late. Remember, last year he was coming off major knee surgery. But by the end of the season, he was a really good player. SEC tournament, NCAA tournament, he is inserted into the starting lineup. The final nine games of his career at Alabama averaged 14 points and four assists per game. Somebody's going to get a really good point guard. The early returns are that Memphis could be the favorite here. So keep an eye out for that because if Memphis gets this guy, um, you know, Memphis becomes a very intriguing team. That is who right now is favored to get Javon Quinterly. By the way, I shouldn't say it's all bad news for Alabama. 
Uh, Grant Nelson is officially going to transfer per Jeff Goodman. He had, there was the weird report that he had verbally committed, but he never really announced it about two weeks ago. Grant Nelson appears headed to Bama. So I just mentioned that Javon Quinterly could end up at, um, that Javon Quinterly could end up at Memphis, that they are perceived to be the favorite. Well, how about this? Penny Hardaway still doing work in the portal because outside of Quinterly, on what was it? Tuesday night, they did get actually a very big commitment from a player that many people probably know the name, but maybe don't totally remember the backstory. And that's Jordan Brown, a transfer from Louisiana Lafayette. And if the name sounds familiar, but you can't really put, you know, the pieces together in your head, here's what you need to know about Jordan Brown. This was a guy like Javon Quinterly. I think they are the last two players in college basketball from the 2028 or 2018, excuse me, McDonald's All-American game with R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson and Cam Reddish. He is also about to be 25 years old like Javon Quinterly. Began his career, how about this, playing for Eric Musselman at Nevada, then transfers to Arizona, plays two years, Sean Miller leaves, he ends up at Louisiana Lafayette, and this past year had an excellent season at Louisiana Lafayette, averaging 19 points, eight and a half rebounds per game. Well, he ends up at Memphis, and I'll tell you this, Memphis, especially if they can get Javon Quinterly, has a very interesting team. They have Caleb Mills, a transfer from Houston, who was very good the last couple years at Florida State. Again, began his career at Houston, played at Florida State, was very good, ends up at Memphis. They added a couple other transfers, a D3 All-American named Jonathan Pierre, a kid from Middle Tennessee State. And they have some interesting freshmen coming in too. Keep in mind, by the way, Mikey Williams, we talked about him in the spring former five-star arrested on gun charges, felony gun charges a few months ago. Technically, nothing has really happened with that case, and I think Memphis publicly has not distanced itself from Mikey Williams, so in theory, he could be there as well. But Memphis, very intriguing team, and if they get Quinterly to go with Brown, that's about as good of an inside-outside combination as you could possibly have. Javon Quinterly will find out about, but Jordan Brown officially committed to Memphis on Tuesday night. Speaking of Tuesday night, there is one, you know, frankly, just very, very, very sad story that I do just want to touch on really quick. Um, And that is on Tuesday afternoon into Tuesday evening, we found out that former Arkansas legend, a legend at the quarterback position who also played in the NFL, Ryan Mallett, uh, tragically at 35 years old, passed away. Uh, again, at just 35 years old situation in Florida, it sounds like a drowning, awful, awful, awful news. And obviously very big news. You know, I, I uh, uh, Wednesday morning, my wife comes to me and says, what is this story about this football player? I believe it was on Good Morning America or one of those great shows. So it shows you who Ryan Mallett was, the impact that he had and how sad this whole situation is. You know, from the Ryan Mallett memorandum perspective, if you will, There are other places that are going to give you better context, but I do think it is worth mentioning with Ryan Mallett because he was, in his generation, really one of the great quarterbacks in college football. Began his career at Michigan, ends up transferring, playing for Bobby Petrino at Arkansas. And those 2009-2010 Arkansas teams were really, really, really good, including the 2010 team that Ryan Mallett led to 10 wins 
and a Sugar Bowl appearance where, ironically, they played Ohio State in what was the final game of Terrell Pryor's career. Remember, Ohio State had their whole situation, but Arkansas was the one that played them in the Sugar Bowl. And so for people who remember that era of SEC football, it was a really fun time to watch college football. Florida was rolling with Tim Tebow. Alabama was just getting going with Nick Saban. LSU, the year after Ryan Mallett leaves, plays for a national championship against Bama. But I would I, I would put those Arkansas teams in terms of excitement and fun to watch and all of the things that made them so interesting. I would put them up there with just about anybody. And Ryan Mallett was the guy that 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 he was the the straw that stirred the drink. His final year, 32 touchdowns, 62 touchdowns in two seasons at Arkansas. And again, that team goes 10 and three in a year where Auburn wins the national championship with Cam Newton. Oh, by the way, it's Arkansas that is in second place in the SEC West. They actually, believe it or not, finished ahead of Alabama that season. Um, And again, just a really fun team at a really fun time in Arkansas Razorbacks history. Those were the years they had that dynamic wide receiver core, uh, Jarris Wright, Kobe Hamilton, Joe Adams. I forget, I believe Greg Childs uh, was in the mix at that time. The Childs, please, if you remember, that was what all the announcers said. But Ryan Mallett was just dynamic. He was awesome. He was fun. And obviously an incredible time in the history of Arkansas Razorbacks uh, football. Just so sad to see so someone so young pass away. Obviously played a few years in the NFL with the New England Patriots. I saw Tom Brady put out a tribute. I saw, um, you know, some other NFL people put out a tribute. And quickly, I do want to read what Bobby Petrino had to say, because, listen, I know Bobby Petrino has had, um, you know, a lot of ups and downs, certainly since the Arkansas days. But I thought he had a very poignant message um, to that. You know, he had a very poignant message about Ryan Mallett that he shared After Ryan Mallett's passing, he said, I am heartbroken to hear of the passing of one of the greatest competitors I've had the privilege of coaching. Not only was Ryan a great leader and a great teammate off the field, he was a thoughtful and generous, a great leader on the field. He was a thoughtful and generous person off the field as well. Personally, I know how much he loved being a hog. I, along with thousands of others, will always remember fourth and three in Little Rock against LSU when he made the perfect pass to Joe to seal the win. My heart goes out to his family and to all of Hog Nation tonight. Gone but never forgotten. May you rest in peace, buddy. Love you. And I'll just say, listen, I know Bobby Petrino has been through a lot in the last decade since he was uh, essentially fired at Arkansas. But it speaks to the relationship that he had with Ryan Mallett. And it speaks to that incredible era of Arkansas football where they had that thing rolling the following year after Ryan Mallett leaves. Arkansas finishes 11-2 and with Tyler Wilson as the quarterback. But Ryan Mallett, a memorable SEC football player, an Arkansas legend, passes away at, 60, at 35 years old. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, it is time for me to get out of here. We'll be back on Friday, new episode. But uh, if you're not subscribed, first of all, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you want to tune into the show, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. 
That is all for today's show. I appreciate everybody's support. Uh, and again, as I said, I will be back on Friday. I think we'll have some more football on Friday. There's a couple interesting things going on in football that I want to address, but today was a heavy, heavy basketball show. Time for me to get out of here. Time for me to go. But again, thank you all for your support. Thank you again. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I will be back on Friday. New episode, Aaron Torres Podcast.